the Father's got a Christmas present for us this morning. You know what that is? Okay, yeah. Actually, I think I've got it here in my pocket. Here it is. Keys. Do you know the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they have a Christmas present? It's called the keys of the kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? The keys of the kingdom. Jesus said to Peter, I now give these to you. I pass off the keys. You remember a couple of years ago, there was a, a, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe came out, and it was around Christmas time. Remember, we went to North Lake Mall, and they had that Christmas thing set up in the middle of the mall. You could take your kids through and get a picture taken at the lamppost. Anybody, anybody do that? We just pulled out that picture recently. You did, David? Pull out the picture. All four kids are sick. You know, had this weird look on their face, making funny faces. Gabe's crying with his finger like this. You know, it's just, you know, one of those Christmas pictures. Well, I was thinking about that uh, analogy that C.S. Lewis wrote. And, I mean, if you will, like the land of Narnia being the kingdom of heaven. All right, the kingdom of heaven, like the, the spiritual realm that exists, that's accessible. And that wardrobe, well, let's just pretend for the moment that, for the sake of the analogy, that the wardrobe has a lock on it. And for Christmas... The Father is saying, here you go. Here's a key. Here's a key to this wardrobe. All you have to do is put the key in, unlock the lock, and step right through. There's a whole new realm. There's a whole new world that's wonderful, that's full of wonderful things. Yes, there's challenges in that world as well, but there's a whole new world that I meant for you to live in, and it's called the kingdom of heaven. Right? And there's keys. So that's kind of what I want to look at this morning, is... The keys to the kingdom of heaven. Um, but you know, being Christmas, I also want to share a Christmas verse here with you. And that's Isaiah 9. You got your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 9. It's up on the screen as well. And it's, we'll start in verse 4 here. He says, and oh, let me remind you of something. Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before a baby named Jesus in Bethlehem was born in that manger. 700 years. Can you believe that? So the man Jesus was never on the scene. It wasn't like this picture somebody had like we do today of a baby in a manger in this picture of Jesus 700 years before Christ. It starts like this. We're kind of jumping into the middle in verse 4. For you have broken the yoke of His burden and the staff of His shoulder, the rod of His oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Merry Christmas. That's <laughs> oh, wait, that, that's not the whole story here. It's kind of a, a, bloody, a bloody picture there. What in the world's going on? Well, there's, he's prophesying. Uh, well, he's using like the Midianites. He's prophesying a literal analogy or a literal event of deliverance from enemies. But of course he's speaking metaphorically and prophetically here. And then the Christmas verse in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Don't you love all the names of God? Sarah said I need to put this poster on the front of the podium in between services so if you get too bored while I'm preaching you can read all the names of God. They're right there. But it's just such a powerful thing to think about the all-encompassing. You know what my favorite one is? I am. Just I am. That just says it all. Verse 7, of the increase of His government. Think about government for a minute. What does government represent? It represents authority. You know, it represents an establishment 
that has the authority, a governing body over a nation, a people group, etc. So it's, it's the government which is the kingdom of heaven. The government of the kingdom of heaven will be on whose shoulders? On His shoulders, right? And of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You know, this is kind of a little side note, but did, Byron alluded to this last week. Did you know it's possible for God to show up and for us to miss Him? You know, do, do you believe that, that we're any different necessarily from the Jews of the Old Testament who, between the Old and the New Testaments, there was a written and oral tradition that a mighty warrior king in the lineage of David, like David, you remember David who conquered his thousands and his tens of thousands with a sword, was a mighty man of God, but a mighty man of war. So picture that. That's your paradigm as a Jew, okay? With this paradigm, when a little baby, sweet little baby, was born in a manger, and then you know the story, went out and was real nice to people and forgave the prostitute and, you know, opened some blind eyes. Well, yeah, guys, that's all, that's all well and good, but, you know, we still got these stinking Romans. They're dominating us. You know, my Messiah is going to come with a flaming sword and destroy our enemies and set up His kingdom. The government, it's right there in Isaiah, He prophesied the government will be on His shoulders. Well, we know they're looking for the wrong government, right? They were looking for the wrong kind of kingdom. But it's just one of those things to beckon us that God's saying, you know what, I can show up and you could miss it. So in this Christmas holiday, in the Christmas season, don't mistake the Christmas spirit for the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's a little bit of a difference there. It could be the same, but not necessarily. Don't assume anything, in other words. But do, just enjoy hosting the Holy Spirit in your holiday gatherings. Isn't that a great thing? Um, so it's possible. You know, hundred, you know they, they kind of miss it there, a lot of them. But, of course, when Jesus of Nazareth came, he, he seemed like the most unlikely, as I said, except for those select few. But even the disciples, you know, in Acts 1, even after all that had happened, they were convinced, obviously, He was the Son of God. He was the Christ, the Messiah. And in Acts chapter 1, they even say to Him, Now, Jesus, are you now... He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. Are you now going to restore the kingdom? There it is. Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Hello? McFly, I can just see Jesus doing this. Hello? You guys don't get it? <laughs> I have restored the kingdom. Remember the first words I preached? Were repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. They still had a hard time, even after all that, overcoming that paradigm of the warrior king in the natural coming and setting up his kingdom. Isn't that interesting? So let's let the Holy Spirit um, have his way in our homes, our hearts, our lives this, this season. Who was this Jesus born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth? Why then, why did this Messiah, the Christ, come? Well, He came to reveal and to release a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and He placed... Where did they go? I put them back in my pocket. He placed the keys for access to the kingdom into our hands. Why? There's one reason why. To destroy the works of Satan. To destroy the works of the evil one who had previously been in control down here. Okay? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But let me look first of all at who was this Jesus of Nazareth. 
And uh, when I think about the incarnation, when I think about God becoming a man, or becoming a baby first, which of course grew into a man, I love Philippians 2. And I don't know if this is on the screen, but if you have your Bible, or you can just listen, Philippians 2.6. Oops. Philippians 2.6, I love this. He says, Paul says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, okay, by nature He was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. In, in another translation it says, He stripped Himself of, and in the Amplified, all the characteristics and the dignity that comes with being God, he, he allowed Himself to be stripped of that in order to become one of us. Isn't that an awesome picture? That this little baby was, was, was the God Himself becoming a man. And it doesn't stop there. Therefore, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, what happened? God exalted Him. God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that's above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in where? In heaven and on earth. In the heavenly realm, the earthly realm, every knee bows. Every tongue confesses that Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm reminded of Revelation 4 that the Lord's emphasized recently that in John's, in John's revelation, he sees the Lamb that was slain. And there's a scroll that no one is found worthy to open the scroll except the Lamb who was slain. And the Lamb who was slain can take the scroll and open the scroll. And there's the creature with eyes all over its body. And it, it can't help but stare day and night at this perfect, spotless, blameless lamb that was slain. may seem like an Easter story to you, but really this is Christmas. This is what we're talking about because we don't lose sight of the whole person of who Christ was. Not just a little baby in a manger, but also the glorified Son of God, the Messiah. Amen? Alright, now let me get to really my text here. and This is Matthew 16. And uh, because I asked the question here, who was this Jesus of Nazareth? And this was a common question. In fact, he even uh, uh, you know, laid this question before his disciples when he came to Caesarea Philippi. He said, who do people say the Son of Man is? You're probably familiar with this. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? So Peter pipes up, being the loud mouth that he usually is in the, in the crowd, and he says, well, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Remember his paradigm, warrior king. That's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big statement. So big that Jesus looks at him and says, oh, only the Father could have revealed that to you. Because you see, Peter, so many other people just aren't getting it. So he said, Blessed are you, Simon, in verse 17, for this was not revealed to you by, by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on the, this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And here's a big thing in verse 19. And I will give you what? I give you the keys of what? The kingdom of heaven. The keys to the wardrobe. Just step right through. You've got a choice, though. You can use them, or you cannot use them. That's the choice that you have to make. 
Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Not later, but now. Whatever you bind, whatever you loose. Okay, so that brings us to number two. Why did Jesus come? He came to take these back. He came to repossess the keys of the kingdom of heaven here on the earth. And then, eventually, who's He going to leave them with? He's going to leave them with us, isn't He? Now, this is an interesting quote. I've been reading a book by this uh, Ugandan, this African pastor named Andrew Moyo. And he says this, This is your time to conquer the, er the kingdoms of this earth for Jesus Christ. I am not talking about something in the future. I'm talking about seizing the kingdoms of this earth now. God has placed the keys to the kingdom into your hands. That's right, your hands and mine. Look once again at your hands. Upon these hands lies the future of the church. Jesus has placed the miracle working power of God in your hands. The kingdoms of this earth do not belong to Satan. They belong to God. This earth was made for us and belongs to us as children of God. God made the earth and gave man dominion over it. Amen? Now let's review here a little bit. How did this all play out? Well, you remember in Genesis 1, who did God give dominion over the creation to? To Adam, right? To man. He gave him dominion. Well, who did Adam hand that dominion over to? That's right. Adam gave the dominion over to Satan through willful disobedience to God's revealed will. Satan assumed rulership over mankind and all of mankind fell under his dominion. That was the situation, right? However, the redemption story says that through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lamb, the spotless Lamb, i.e. the Messiah, through His death, crucifixion, and resurrection... All the privileges man enjoyed as God's heir were purchased back. The penalty for the sin of mankind was paid for by Jesus on the cross. So Jesus then came to the earth for one purpose. I'll submit to you for one purpose. And John says it in 1 John 3.8. Does anybody know what it says? Look at the second half here, 3.8b. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy what? The works of the devil. That's the bottom line. The works of the devil. How are those works destroyed? Through the keys of the kingdom. The works of Satan are destroyed. And think about this. This little baby possessed this thing. Then, now, in the future, in the past, it was possessed right there as Christ humbled Himself and became a baby in a manger. Right? This is what I love to think about at Christmas. Jesus came and fulfilled His purpose. He restored to us the dominion that was ours in the beginning. It no longer belongs to the devil. The Spirit of God was upon Jesus as He took the keys of the kingdom of this world from the devil's hand. Remember in Luke 4.18, He said, My mission here, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He's quoting Isaiah again, because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are, who are oppressed. That's what He went about doing. Now after His resurrection and His ascension, this is what He said to His disciples. I'm sorry, after His resurrection, before His ascension. Now, you know what guys? All authority. Where? 
All authority has been given to me in heaven, in the spiritual realm, and on earth. Go therefore. Go. Go therefore. And you know the rest. So, what, what I'm saying here is, if you ask the question, who is this man, Jesus? And by the way, if you're considering in here, maybe you're here because you're with a family member over Christmas, and you're considering what I'm saying, or you're, cons- you're, not, you're not sure about the man, Jesus. Well, without a lengthy discussion, it's a matter of historical fact that Jesus the man walked the earth. Right? I mean, not just the Bible, but all kinds of historians. You can look it up. It is a fact. So then you're left with a, a trilemma, if you will. You know, who was this guy? You know, and basically, without going through the whole nitty gritty, I can discuss this with you later, but he was either a complete liar and a fake, an absolute lunatic, a crazy person, or he was who he said he was, and he was the Lord, you know. And so if he was the Lord, if he was the Messiah who was prophesied about, then we have two responses. We can either reject him or we can accept him. You know, that's just the bottom line. Did you know, by the way, that there's over 233 specific prophecies from, like I said about Isaiah, from 700 to 800 years before this man was even born that point directly to one person? It's impossible for any other one person to, uh, to fulfill all these direct prophecies from the town he's going to be born in to what he was going to be born in to his mother being uh, the virgin birth, etc., etc., etc. That many prophecies, statistically, if you look it up, the probability, the mathematics, is like one to the, I can't remember, nth degree. It's like a list of zeros so long you can't even fathom it that that one man... You know, it's impossible, in other words, that he was not who he said he was. But anyway, let me get back to, to, to where I want to go with this. What are the keys then? Because he asked the question, who do they say I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah that's been prophesied about. And then he looked at him and he said, you've answered correctly. The Lord's revealed it to you. And now I give you, I'm going to give you the keys to this world. Because you've seen into this world, obviously, and now here are the keys, and my church is going to be built on this, this perspective, this spiritual reality, and here's what you're going to have to use in order to access it and to live from it, to minister, and to carry on my mission to destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that awesome? Now here's what they are, and I, I, this isn't an exhaustive list, but I'm going to hit three big keys here that I want you to take with you this morning, okay? And the first key is this. Spiritual dominion and authority. Spiritual dominion and authority. We, we've actually already done this this morning. The Word of God is in your mouth. Begin to speak it. You know, in the first service, we were pray, uh, Becky was praying for Larry Harkness, who uh, had, had a, his, one of his eyes is hemorrhaged. He's at the uh, ophthalmologist right now trying to figure out what's going on. And she didn't say, God, we ask you to heal Larry. She began to speak what? To the hemorrhaging and commanding it to stop. She began to decree the healing of Larry's eye. Why? Because all spiritual authority and dominion in Christ lives inside of you that you possess a key to the kingdom called spiritual dominion and authority. Now, if you don't believe this, Luke ten nineteen says, Behold, I've given who? I've given you. Everybody say me. me. I've given you authority to do what? 
to tread on serpents and scorpions. He's talking metaphorically. Don't worry, we won't pull the snakes out if you're a visitor. And over all the power of who? The enemy. And nothing will injure you. Matthew 18.18 Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth shall have been loosed in heaven. See, he's linking the supernatural kingdom of heaven reality that's all around us right now, but we can't usually see it, and the earthly reality that we are seeing and experiencing with our five senses. He's saying these things are connected. And this key here called spiritual dominion and authority connects those two things for you. John 20, 21, He said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when He said this, oh, this is a good part, He breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that one in a minute. Now let me go back to this thing about the kingdom. You know, I love this quote that, I don't know, Bill Johnson or somebody is, says a lot, is nothing happens in the kingdom without it first being decreed. We get to co-labor with God. When we decree things, something happens. There is a direct correlation between uh, Chrissy's testimony, Tony's testimony, and things that and other people, but I know for sure Marlon Magutsu has decreed in this church on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, etc. One time he saw a vision of fish falling. He believed that represented provision, so we decreed it. Another time he saw something else. We decreed provision. We began to decree it. And then things started happening. I was like, wow, would you believe it? This works? You know, can you believe this works? Well, it hasn't worked for me, Matthew. Hold on. Hold on. God's going to come through for you. Because specifically, we decreed another thing in Psalm this morning, that is... God's love never fails. God's love never fails. Love never fails. If you're sitting here this morning, four days before Christmas, and you feel like God's going to fail you, you've either felt that or you think He has or whatever, I'm telling you, God, His love will never fail. His lo- Read 1 Corinthians 13. His love, I mean, all the other things will cease. We saw a huge uh, uh, Christian leader of the Lakeland Revival fail. We've seen Wall Street fail in 2008. We've seen all kinds of things. Gas, you know, whatever. It fails. His love won't fail. And guess who God is? He's love. Everything unadulterated, uninhibited, un, unimaginable love just exudes from Him. He can't help Himself. That's just the way He is. He is love. There's nothing you can do that separates you from the love of Christ, the Bible says. He loves you because He loves That's just the way He is. It's like eating up on your grandkids or, or your little babies. You know, you just have to love them because you can't help yourself. That's how God feels about you. So if you feel condemned, you feel rejected, it's a lie. It's a lie you, by the adversary called Satan. He loves you. Amen? Spiritual dominion and authority. That is key number one. Key number two is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Christ. And all this is a really big one. I want to read a testimony by this same guy, the book I've been reading. Uh, again, an African pastor. This is what he, he says happened to him. In 1996, I was praying and fasting, and just as I lay on the floor, I heard in the, a voice in the room call me by my first name three times. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Do you know what Satan fears most? Instantaneously, I recognized that it was the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit. 
I don't know, he replied. He, I replied. He responded, the blood of Jesus. I asked, why specifically the blood of Jesus and not the Word of God? You know, as the theologians in the room, like you're arguing with God, you know. Why would it be that and not, the, you know, whatever? And uh, he answered me saying, Satan trembles at the mention of Jesus' name and God's Word, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ which was shed at Calvary that defeated him. The sins of the whole world have been paid for so that whoever believes in Him has forgiveness. And their transgressions are washed away by the blood of Jesus, never to be remembered again. Hebrews says it like this in chapter 9, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, this is the old covenant picture here, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, now to the new covenant, how much more will the blood of Christ, or the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience, conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What does the blood cleanse here according to Hebrews 9? My conscience. Right? Did you know that your conscience will condemn you? That's not God. It's not necessarily the devil either. In uh, Christ School of Ministry, we've been studying Watchman Nee's work, The Normal Christian Life. He has this great revelation from Roman, the book of Romans on this, and here's what it is. There's three applications for the blood of Christ. Manward, Godward, and Satanward. Let me say Godward, Manward, and Satanward. First of all, Godward, the blood of Christ, just like the story of the Exodus, when the Israelites uh, were getting ready to leave Egypt, leave Egypt and the death angel came and he said put the blood of a spotless lamb over the doorpost when that blood when you believe in Christ and you accept him for the forgiveness of your sins spiritually that blood has covered your life it's covered your heart therefore there's now no condemnation see the condemnation you then feel is not from God there's no con when he looks at you he sees you as perfect and complete spotless your sins are atoned for period past, present, and future. It's all done. Well, then why do I still feel bad? Because manward, there's a guilty conscience that plays tricks on us. And we would, we've been referring to it somewhat around here as the orphan spirit. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. And gosh darn it, people just don't like me. You know? I mean, we, that's how we would refer to it as, but that's, that's a lie from your own flesh. Your flesh gets in the way. Your flesh is telling you you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You're, you'll never be able to do it. You, well, you're kind of right. You won't, but He in you is perfecting you. He will finish the work that He's completed. Amen? So, but that is a guilty conscience, but you can just stay on the blood of Christ. Well, wait a second. Either the blood of the Christ has covered me or it hasn't. You can know that it has. Why? Not because I said so, because the Bible says so. Amen? Third, Satan word. Revelation says that we have an accuser of the brethren. You know, you guys all know this one who sits there and tells you all these stinking lies. You know, he's a little peon idiot and makes himself to blow up to be some big, giant, muscular UFC macho man or something. But he's really nothing than just a little peon with a pot belly. You know, and he, he, but he convinces you that he's all powerful and he knows. Christy gave a great testimony, you know, about the finances, convincing you that you really need to hold on to this. And, you know, all he's, he's convincing you of things. Well, you just remind him of his future. 
You know, when he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. You're defeated, Satan. The blood of Christ has already covered me. He's all, you can't touch me. You've got no rightful place to me. And, and another thing that I was reminded of, too, is in, in response to demonic attacks, or uh, things coming after you, just pray the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, just cover me. I remember uh, Sarah Ruth was telling me earlier that when she was in college, she was really struggling with nightmares. And she began to pray. The Lord spoke to her about this, and she began to pray and just pray the blood of Christ over our dreams as she went to sleep. And she said, just like that, I stopped having these nightmares. I've heard testimony after testimony. The same Andrew Moyes in Africa, he's amazed as they worship and, and particularly songs about the blood of Christ, how the demonic strongholds are just dispossessed and people get healed. Signs and wonders happen all over the place. So you got that God word, man word, and Satan word. The blood of Christ is what? Where'd the keys go? Oh, there they are. Oh, I've only got two keys on there. It's the second key. Spiritual authority and dominion. That's number one. Second key is what? The blood of Christ. Let me finish here, the Holy Spirit. Oh, we could talk for hours about this. Last sermon I preached was on the person of the Holy Spirit, which I remind you is a person. Remember that message? Pretend you had the uh, dinner guest over. His name's the Holy Spirit. You know, you wouldn't just ignore him. You know, go do something else while he's trying to talk to you. Let's be a hospitable host to the Holy Spirit <laughs> during this time with our family and everything. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be anything sinful, but if the Holy Spirit's not wanting to do something or say something, whatever, just say, okay, cool. I don't have to do that. I'll just do whatever you want to do, Holy Spirit, because you're the most important. You know, you're the best thing in my life. All power and victory comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, here, I read this thing recently. I want to share it with you. I thought this was really good. Jesus the Son administers or performs. God the Father operates or works. And the Holy Spirit manifests, reveals, or discloses. Let me say that again if you didn't catch it. Jesus, the Son, administers or performs. God, the Father, operates or works. And the Holy Spirit manifests, reveals, or discloses. Of course, they're all intertangled and intermingled, being the Trinity. But that's a, an interesting way to think about it. That means that the Holy Spirit manifests the working of the Father and the administration of the Son. The Holy Spirit manifests the working of the Father and the administration of the Son. So do you think we need a solid relationship with the Holy Spirit in the way that we relate to the Father and the, Holy Sp and the, Ho and the Son? The Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is a very vital aspect of that. And, you know, Jesus said it like this. He said, I'll tell you the truth in John 16, 7. It's to your advantage that I go away. Okay, think about this sweet little baby. Mine's not here right now. But I got this sweet little baby. And, you know, what, what if you're Mary? You know, it's interesting when he was born and all the shepherds came and said, we saw the sun, and they were really excited. And then the Bible just goes off, sidetracks from the shepherds for a minute and says, and Mary pondered all these things in her heart, and she treasured all that was happening. And then I noticed the same thing. When he 12, skipped 12 years later when Jesus is 12 years old. And you remember the story where they lost him at the Passover? And he was in, like, teaching the, uh, the religious leaders in the temple. And then they catch up with him. And uh, he's like, well, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? And then he came home with them and became obedient to them. And then it says, and Mary, 
treasured all these things in her heart. So don't you know how precious that must have been to be Mary? You know, Jesus, you know you're not going to let go of your baby. You know, that's your baby. You know, you don't, you don't let go of your baby. Well, even his friends, you know, the disciples. I mean, this guy, they had hugged him. They had kissed him. I mean, he was their everything. He was their all in all. He was the hope. He was the Messiah. Even after the, the crucifixion, he died. He came back to life. They got to have been, please don't go. You know, they may have even sang the song. You know, probably not. <laughs> please don't go. But he said, yeah, as good as I may be, there's something better coming for you guys. There's something better coming for you, ladies. And then he breathed. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. No? Well, that was the earlier passage that we read. He said, it's to your advantage, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So as great as it is to celebrate the birth of this baby who became the Messiah, it's even better to welcome the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what he said. That's why I'm saying that. He said that. It's better for the Holy Spirit to come even than just to have me here. Last thing, he sent the Holy Spirit to help you accomplish what He's called you to do in the kingdom. So you got three keys. What's the first one? Spiritual authority and dominion. The second one is? The blood of Christ. And the third one? An MVP card. No. The third one is? The Holy Spirit. These three things are really an awesome tool that the Lord Himself has already provided. It's already done. And... Uh, if you're here today and you've never had a spiritual connection, it's an exciting opportunity. And here's why. Because not only does all the guilt and shame from your whole life and know this inner thing that even though you may try to cover it up with stuff, you know you've blown it and you can't do anything about it. Not only does that get dealt with and completely wiped out and done away with, but also there's a whole spirit world that you didn't even really know about that this is the Bible that opens up as the Holy Spirit comes and, and illuminates these things. There's a whole world. It's called the kingdom of heaven. It's like what heaven's like. There's no sickness there. There's angels, you know, whatever. There's a lot of stuff in it. But that becomes, you gain rightful access into that thing. And we get to co-labor with Christ and share not only in what has happened to us, but then share it with other people and be like, man, let me tell you about this thing. You see that broken leg? The Holy Spirit can heal that. You know, whatever. You, see, you know that void in your life? You know that pain? You know that rejection? You know the pain from, from trauma in your life? Whatever. From the broken marriage that your parents had? Jesus, not only was He a real man, but the Spirit of God can come in and, and bring life into you. Let's pray. Everybody bow your heads. Holy Spirit, we just love You. We welcome You. We thank You, Father, for sending the Son, for becoming a baby and a man and, and, and becoming the perfect sacrifice for us. And we thank You for sending the Holy Spirit, Father, to, to be uh, the power and the source and the connection that we need with You, Lord. We just thank You for that. And Lord, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that You would continue just to hover with Your sweet presence in this room. And I just thank You for that. I thank You for that. And if you're here today and you've never been born again, it's what the Bible calls it, just raise your hand up. You say, you know what, Matthew, I'd like to be born again. 
I'd like to uh, come into a relationship with a living God. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you, you know, walk down the aisle. I just, you know, want to just pray with you after we dismiss or something. He said, I've never come into that relationship, but I know that I've blown it and I need the Savior. I need the Redeemer and what a better time than Christmas to give your whole life to become all things new, a new creature. Okay? So, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. A couple people. Thank you, Lord, for those awesome people, Lord, that are entering the kingdom today. And uh, just love the Holy Spirit. Love Jesus. So thankful today for the gift of the keys of the kingdom. Amen.